Hello, I'm very pleased to have William Shaw with me today. Hi, William, would you like to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about yourself? Hello, uh, yeah, my name is William Shaw. I'm a uh, crime fiction writer and I've been writing, I published my first book in 2013, um, which was in a series um, set in London in the 1960s, a song, book called A Song from Dead Lips. And I did, I've done four in that series set in the 60s. And then in uh, four, four or five years ago, I wrote a book called The Bird Watcher which was set contemporary uh, novel set in Kent in Dungeness. Um, I live in Brighton and it's about 50 miles down the road and I kind of fancied something a bit less urban uh, next time around. So I, I set uh, one book, supposedly it was just one book there, but then this character was in the book and I kind of thought, what if I turn her into a, into a kind of series lead? And so this detective Alex Cupidy started her own series. She broke out. Uh, and uh, the fourth in those has just come out in paperback. It's a book called The Trawlerman. You always know that you wanted to be a writer. Always. Presumably everybody says that, do they? They no. don't, surprisingly, no. Do they not? Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, no, I always did. I think maybe, yeah, actually, I was just thinking of someone or other. There's a, a writer I met the other day, and she was illiterate till she was in her 20s, and she had never thought she could have been a writer. Do you know what I mean? And it's sort of like, uh, I guess we do come in all shapes and sizes, but from a very early age, I wanted to, I just didn't know how to do it. It took me years. Took, I was, I'm a very slow learner. What happened in 2013 that made you think, that's it, I'm going to do it now, I'm going to go for it? Well, I'd been, I'd been a member of a writer's group for ages, and um, there were four of us in this group. I started in 2000, and... Uh, one of the people in the group was a writer called Chris Sanson, who's better known as C.J. Sanson. He writes historical fiction. And of course, in about 2002, I think he started with Dissolution. And so we all carried on trying to write, but suddenly Chris became very successful indeed. And I can remember going, you know, so I, I was trying to write books around and I was writing nonfiction books because I'm a journalist and I've written sort of, I've written like five nonfiction books. But um, every time I tried to write fiction, it kind of fell flat. And I can remember coming back on a train, actually from a Chris Sanson book launch, and the other two um, people in the book group having a go at me and saying, go on, William, go on, do it, do it, do it, do it. You can do it, you can do it. I thought, okay, I'm going to give it one last go. And I started writing a book, and it was actually the book that uh, was first published. And I kind of, by then I kind of got it. I started writing this book, and I thought, oh, it's crime fiction. Oh, I get it. Right, okay. And, um, and the rest, rest isn't quite history. But um, it's certainly what happened to me. So even when you started writing, you weren't sure what genre you're going to write. It just no, not at all. It was no, it was just, and, I th and I think if you know, like, I mean, I don't know if your readers are the same, but I read crime fiction, but I read all sorts. You know, I mean, I don't think, you know, shops think in genres and publishers think in genres, but I don't think most readers do. I think you get, you know what crime fiction does and therefore, you know. A lot of the time when you need a certain type of thing, you'll go to crime fiction and the biggest crime fiction readers do that. But they generally have something like a Booker Prize winner, uh, some romantic fiction, you know, a book of poetry. You know, we all read all sorts of stuff, don't we? And um, so I was trying all sorts of stuff. But when I got to crime fiction, when I started writing crime fiction, and I think it was the time as well, I think crime fiction has evolved into a really interesting genre. And this is my sort of deep point that I kind of think it's not just talking about crime it's talking about all sorts of stuff because we have to try and convince you that we're going to kill about three people and you've got to believe it now it's quite hard to make you believe in, in killing people in a funny kind of way because it doesn't happen often you know not around here anyway um, and so we've got to try and lure you in and quite often increasingly crime fiction lures you in by 
convincing you that other stuff are true. I mean, this guy, C.J. Sanson, he's a historical fiction writer. He writes about Tudor England. And all his Tudor details are just so amazing that you kind of, he can kill as many people as he wants because he's made me believe that he's in Tudor England. He can, you know, kill people horribly once you um, persuaded that. But, you know, I remember his last book was a book called Tomb Lad. He's not very well, Chris. Um, and uh, he um, he gets ill quite a lot. So uh, if he doesn't send you bits of his novel, you kind of say, hey, you're right, Chris. And, and um, I can remember calling him up a few years ago now because it's his last book, Tomb Lad, and it's been a while since he finished that one. And I called him up and said, Chris, what's happened? Are you all right? And he said, no, no, I'm just researching sheep. And he'd stopped writing for a week or two to research what Tudor sheep in Norfolk were like, because he thought, I can't go on unless I know exactly what they look like. And he spent ages tra trace tracking down the one academic who could tell him what they look like. When you read the book, there's only one sentence in there, but he had to get that right. And you see, this is why I think contemporary crime fiction is, is really good, because what you'll do is you'll be reading it. And there's a description of a sheep in this book. And you think, sounds right to me, because he's taken some trouble there. And, and you're lulled into it at that point, so you can really sort of caught up in the plot so i think you know i sort of discovered that power that if you then research 1960s london in a really interesting way i could convince people that skullduggery was happening which leads nicely to one of my favorite questions what's the most interesting thing you found doing research or the biggest research rabbit hole you've fallen down i mean i i got to a really big research rabbit hole i'm researching the trawlerman because it's about ptsd my late main character, by the time it got to book four, I thought, God, she's seen some terrible things. It's got to have dented her a bit. So I thought, OK, I gave her PTSD, which is a bit of a meme. You know, not a bit, a bit of a, it's a bit of, you know, it's not, I'm not the first writer to give their main character PTSD because we, we were understanding more about it. But I thought I've got to feel, understand what it's like in her head. So I spent a long time talking to people who were counsellors and, um, and, and read that great book. It's called Written on the Body, I think it's called, which is all about... Um, uh, what they've discovered neurologically about PTSD. But, they, you know, like right from the beginning, there were little things that were great. I wrote that first book and it was set in 1968 in London. And I had a, so 1968, the first body was discovered in this book behind uh, Abbey Road Studios. So, you know, it was all about that thing that in 1968, everybody thought, if you talk to, especially young Americans, they say, oh God, London must've been so swinging and groovy. I'm very old. And actually most of Britain wasn't, swinging and groovy in 1968 most of it was somewhere in 1954 still and um so i kind of thought what if i have a character who's who's from that side of the fence and another one who is swinging and groovy so i had a 22 year old young um constable woman constable in in uh, the metropolitan police who's kind of trying to get into cid and i thought well, that's a great character and so i wrote the book i got a deal i thought hooray i'm a really big writer i'm a real star now it's fantastic as you always do when you get your first deal and i thought i better check my facts and i went and found um two women who'd written who'd, who'd worked for d division in maida vale cid 1968 one of them had actually been a probationer um on the cid just like my character I thought great this is research so i in my sort of pompous kind of way told them all about my plot hoping they'd say well you're so fantastic and they just said that could never have happened and i thought what she says you made her the driver and i thought yeah she's driver. she drives the car and the sergeant who's grumpier goes around with her and no it couldn't happen they said because women weren't allowed to drive cars in 1968 in police in the police and i you know, thought oh uh, and so i had to rewrite the book really 
um, and actually was better for it because she still drives the car, but she's not allowed to, which is always good in a, in a thing. But I just love that fact because the moment you as the reader come across that fact, you think, and it takes you back and you realise how long ago it was because in some ways it feels quite close because we still listen to the Beatles music and we do all that stuff like that. But in other ways, it was a really long time ago and attitudes were completely different. But once I've convinced you of that, then I can do other stuff, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I do. I um, talk a lot, don't I? That's good. It makes it easier for me. You carry on. <laughs> if you were to take one character from any of your books out for a meal, who would you choose and what would you ask them? I would take Alex Cupid's daughter, Zoe, who's she's reached 17, which sounds a bit wrong. But actually, I think she's a really fantastic character because um, she's one of these people who doesn't quite fit in. And she... Um, kind of found herself through you know other teenagers are supposed to be hanging around the shopping mall and things like that she she is she in the first book the bird watcher she arrives and actually she becomes a bird watcher and she just much to her uh, mother's complete bemusement and, and actually sort of like she's she's worried by this because her daughter instead of hanging around listening to, to pop music and and uh, getting on um instagram or whatever it would have been several years ago she just wants to learn about natural history and she spends her whole time in the company with these older people um, who look after her like she's their daughter, which also annoys her mum. And they teach her all about nature. And, and she actually finds herself through um, doing that because I quite like, well, I mean, my experience of teenagers is that they're not, they're not actually one type of teenager and we tend to write them all the same. So it's quite nice writing one who is completely eccentric, completely different. Uh, and um, she's very angry and has very strong politics. She always says, kind of random things that upset the apple cart and I think it'd be quite fun to spend some time with her but I'd have to go vegan of course because she's obviously vegan of course yeah <laughs> um if you were to be a fictional murderer how would you kill your victims um well I'm very squeamish so it would have to be something very long distance um yeah so some some Something I could do without having to see it. What would that be? Some clever sort of ruse of, um, of, uh, or maybe putting. I killed some people in one book by putting uh, um, a type of rat poison in the shower, uh, and it's a sort of thing that it's, it's, it's banned now. But of course, when you when it gets wet, it releases lethal gases, and put it under the shower, sort of. Um, uh, thing and that'd be quite good because I wouldn't have to be there because I don't really like killing people very much. I think you know crime writers are mostly completely complete wusses, uh, and I think that's part of the reason why we write this dark stuff. It keeps us a bit, you know, we can imagine it, but uh, we wouldn't want to do it. And then people say, "Oh, how could you write that horrible, terrifying thing?" I was so scared. Of. And actually, writers get more scared of it than readers. So it's quite interesting. If you imagine it, you're not as scared of it as if you are coming across it on the page in a weird way. So you can do terrible things to people um, on on your computer keyboard. <laughs> what about? I'm trying to remember the name of the poison. You can't get it anymore, so I'm safe. But anyway, yeah, it's it's um it's a very nasty one. Yeah, that sounds pretty. Yeah, the mo the um one of the best answers I had was just pushing someone off a cliff. Just walk past and just push. <laughs> you wouldn't see that. You'd hear, I suppose, but you wouldn't see anything. No. Mine's quite involved and devious, though, you have to admit. Yeah, oh, absolutely, yeah. No arguments from me there. 
I did um, in, in in the tournament. I, I once had somebody cover up a, a murder by um by putting the gun on a, on a weather balloon, and I wrote this, and then I was talking to somebody about it. Said, so, "Yeah, so you must have taken that from that American story, American true story." And I thought, "What?" And somebody had actually done that. And it's so annoying when you imagine something you think's really clever, but somebody else has in real life already imagined it. I think, yeah, I think that's quite scary, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Um, if you were to be fictionally murdered, who would you want to solve your case? Who would I want to solve my case? Um, well, I'd probably go for um, Dr. Ruth Galloway. Um, currently riding number one in, in the book chart. I think she's got a fairly gentle approach to it, hasn't she? They always get to the, you know, um, yeah, I'd go for Ruth. <laughs> awesome. Um, and if you were to be transported into any of your own books as a character, which book would you choose? Um, that's a great question. I probably would like, in that case, I'd probably like to go back to um, a song from Dead Lips. I'd quite like to um, go and live in 1969 for a little while, 1968 for a little while. I'm not sure I'd like to stay there. I don't think it's as much fun as it is now, despite the, um, the thing. Can I come back after a, a few chapters? But I'd quite <laughs> like to, I'd quite like to, to be there and just sort of, um, you know, I think it, it was an extraordinary year and a lot of the things we now have as general taste um, come from that sort of time. And uh, it must have just been amazing to be around, you know, all that music because it wasn't very many people doing it and amazing art as well. You know, lots of things happened in around 68, 69 that were really phenomenal that come out of, of that sort of 50s and 60s sort of quickly changing post-war stuff. And um what a time it would have been to see it. I was actually, I saw some of it. I was there in 1967 in a little village in, in Devon called Shaldon. And the Beatles came to um, the place over the, um, the river called Tidmouth when they were doing Magical Mystery Tour. Um, and we all rode across the river to go and see them. And um, it was like as if the Martians had arrived. It was so weird because back in Devon in those ways, it wasn't even the 1950s. We were still somewhere in the 1940s, I think. Oh, I've loved it. I wasn't even a twinkle in there. <laughs> My mum was born. To though, told so. you I was old. <laughs> You're not old. My mum was born in the 60s, so I am aware of and jealous of anyone that got to see the Beatles because it's just incredible. Yeah. Um, when you're editing your books, what's your most overused word or phrase? Oh, that's a very good one. <laughs> um... Well, it's 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 said, um, and I I kind of have to remove them afterwards because I write very barely, and I do like the fact you know I don't like saying he expostulated or or um hmm she suggested you know said's a good word, but you don't often need as many of them. You can generally hide them by saying you know she put the coffee cup on the table and then open quote you know, rather than having said all the time, because there's that really embarrassing thing when you go and do a reading and you suddenly realise, da-da-da-da, he said, da-da-da-da, she said, da-da-da, he said, and it sounds a bit monotonous. Readers don't really notice it very much. It's quite curious. You don't really, you kind of absorb that sort of stuff. But uh, I try and write without using too many um, adverbs or adjectives and stuff like that, trying to, to let all the reader imagine that stuff. And so it can seem quite bare if you just... Um, uh, have lots of SEDs. So I do go, I do some SED removal at the end, on the last stage of my manuscript. 
such a such a funny phrase. <laughs> I know. Um, what was your favourite first as an author? Um, uh, mm, so many of them. Uh, I think it was the first time I did Harrogate, um, and uh, it's it sort of feels like your. I mean, it is a club and it's very clubby and, and, you know, you can't help it, that sort of thing like that. But when you walk out, you know, we could do all sorts of events and you're kind of looking for an audience and you all do events where one person turns up. Everybody does that sort of thing. And you you um you have to get through all that and you just have to say, well, that, that's one person who likes my book, except actually in the case of the one person who turned up first time around, it was somebody who'd actually brought their self-published book along and actually wasn't interested in, in mine or any of the other three panellists. Um, who had this one person in the audience. But, you know, you get used to that and you get used to the fact that not all readers want to come and see authors. That makes perfect sense. I'm not sure, you know, it's a strange thing to do. Um, but, you know, you you have to go out and you have to meet readers and you do a lot of one person or two people or five people and a lot of things like that. And then more people start to turn up and then you get to Harrogate and there's a room full of thousand people and you walk up an aisle and things like that and there's lots of people who think, Oh, this is quite nice. I quite like this. This is, you know, it's a bit better than the one person with their self-published book. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Are you going to Harrogate this year? I always try and go. I, you know, it's it's um it's a very good social club for writers. I mean, the real danger is that we all just huddle and talk to nobody else apart from ourselves. And last year, because we hadn't seen each other at any events or anything like that, it was just such a lovely experience to walk up to the Swan Hotel, which is this lovely hotel where they hold um, the, the book festival and just sort of start recognising faces as I walked through. Because, of course, we'd, we'd, we hadn't seen people at all. And then it was sort of July and um, and just sort of recognising faces. I got quite emotional about it. And I do. That's why I go, really. I mean, I go as much to because it keeps your finger on the pulse of, of whatever's going on. But really, um, just to see familiar faces because it's a very good community of people crime writers they're very they're very supportive of each other and um you know i also work in a in an industry which having worked i've worked you know had jobs since the 70s and 80s and i've never worked in a job which is actually uh in terms of authors so many people from all sorts of backgrounds all sorts of um you know class backgrounds um ethnicities everything you know like that i think i think crime's really interesting it lets people in if you're good and um, and compared to a lot of other bits of British society, it's incredibly um, open at the moment. It's successful, so it can be, you know, like in it, and, and the people you know, it attracts people from all sorts of areas. Uh, and, and it's just a lot of fun, you know, suddenly working with a much more um, diverse thing. And to work in an industry, I mean, you know, women dominate the industry now. And, you know, that's, that's also refreshing. I've always worked in places which have been people a bit like me. And so it's nice. I mean, it's a great community. It's a lot of fun and there's a lot of very clever people in it. And I do like people like that. Yeah, plus you're all mental, you know, in the nicest yeah. possible way, but you're all yeah. absolutely insane. <laughs> yeah, well, one exception, obviously. Of course. <laughs> um, if you're able to spend a day with any author, dead or alive, who would you like to spend a day with? Oh, you all asked some very hard questions. I know. Ooh, any author, dead or alive um well it probably you probably want the dead ones then wouldn't you because because they're harder to reach um i yeah well, i mean you can have one of each if you want some people cheat and have one of each i'm not fussy yeah let me think because like 
uh, yeah, Oof. I quite, this is quite obscure, but um, there's a writer called um, Nicholas Freeling who wrote in the 70s and he wrote the Van der Valk uh, thing that became televised. Not very well. It was terrible, rubbish TV series compared to the books, but they were really curious things like that. And I sort of read them as a teenager because uh, they're on my parents' shelves. And I loved them. And they're kind of part of the reason why I do stuff. And I know Anne Cleves is a, is a big fan of Nicholas Freeling. I've no idea what Nicholas Freeling was like as a person, because in those days, you didn't find out so much about writers. He's a very good cook, though, um, like Len Dayton. So maybe I put Len Dayton, um, uh, who is still with us, Len Dayton and um, uh, Nicholas Freeling. I was thinking, we'll probably, can we ask Anne, Anne Cleves around? I think she'd quite like to be in on it. Yeah, absolutely. She's yeah, lovely. Yeah, I've not met her or had anything to do with her, actually. So, although someone has asked me to try and interview her, so I will try. She's a busy bunny. Yeah, I know. I'm still trying to, Simon Koenig promised me an interview at Harrogate last year, and I'm still waiting. So he thinks he's going to get away from me, but he's not. <laughs> grind him down, grind him down. I've, I'm trying. <laughs> he was laughing because I was telling Chris Whitaker off because he had agreed to an interview and hadn't um, come back to me. And I was like, well, actually, you've agreed as well and you haven't come back to me. And that shut him up, <laughs> which was great. <laughs> and he's like massive as well. And I was just telling him off and I was like, OK, <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> but <laughs> it was fun. Um, if you're able to travel to any period of time, either forwards or backwards, where would you like to go? Apart mm. from the late 60s. Yeah, I've done that, haven't I? Yeah. Any period of time. Um, I'd quite like to see what happens in about 50 years. We're in a bit of a muddle right now. I'm not sure it'd be a good time to travel to. I'd rather hope it was. Um, but um, I quite like to see how it turns out because we've got a lot of decisions to make around now. And we seem to be fluffing most of them quite badly. Uh, but I'd yeah, like to, you know. Polite way of putting it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think I'd be too scared to go to the future. I know, it's, it is a scary idea, isn't it? Yeah. But I could then sit on the sideline and say, well, I told you so. <laughs> Didn't I say? I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> can't tell you I try. I told you once, I told you twice you didn't listen yeah. um, so what do you like to do when you're not writing uh, all sorts of stuff I mean I, I like to go walking I play music in a Cayley band which is a bit of, it wasn't very crime, what else do I do um, um, well reading obviously that's quite a big one um, yeah or, uh, get out and about. I went to see a very play a couple of weeks uh, last weekend. What was that? Um, down in Bristol, you know, be out, meet people. Um, but yeah, I mean, I play, I play in the Cayley band and that's fun. That's something very different for the brain. It's a very different process. And I think it's quite good to do something different always from what you do in your, your day job. Yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> As you are doing yourself. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> uh, I still don't know how this happened. No. <laughs> um, a silly question. I actually eh? took Joe Spain for her first ever um, um, 
vegan sausage roll in oh. uh, in a certain um high street chain she because she lives in dublin and it's not not a not a thing there yeah um, i know she, i spoke to an irish author and they'd never heard of it and i was like what? and she <laughs> said what is this because i want to use it you know and so so we took her to one in in uh it wasn't in newcastle it was um anyway we took her to this thing and uh she thoroughly enjoyed this she put one in her next book actually she she had, she had to make a reference to it after that as it was such a cultural moment they're now designing a clothing range in line with Primark. Are they? Oh, you see, that's yeah. where it's all going to go wrong. I'm not sure. <laughs> I have no words. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. Yeah. I've, I've, as long as they don't ask us to wear it, because it's bad enough wearing a uniform. <laughs> yes, I was going to say, bottling today. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, who was your first celebrity crush? Literary crush. Um, <laughs> did you, did, uh, my first what was the first, celebrity crush. Oh, celebrity crush. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm very bad at that. Crushes. I guess it would have probably been. Uh, um, oof. Kind of. Um, I've forgotten her name now. That's terrible. Uh, 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 actor, oh god, and she lives around. Oh, I can't remember. Oh, uh, can I take a brain check on that? What's the name? What's the name of the woman? Uh, she she used to be in the Railway Children. Um, any viewers can guess her and guess. And she was also in um, an Australian film whose name I forgot. Uh, and um, she took her, all her clothes off, and I think every teenage boy in Britain had a crush on her, <laughs> probably for all the wrong reasons. Uh, in that film, uh, and um. And if I have me, I'm going to be really embarrassed now. Yeah, I'm trying to... Was it the main character in the Railway Children? It was one of the girls. Um, mm. uh, was it? Oh, let me go and carry on talking. I'm going to go to to use my other bit of brain called Google. Um, <laughs> yeah, good old Google. The trouble is that just dulls our brain even more, doesn't it? Because we have to... Oh, <laughs> don't have to think. Yeah. So 1970 film, The Railway Children, and come along, Jenny Agatha. Oh, it is Jenny Agatha, yeah. Not that, that I can on, think of her yeah. name, yeah. Because she was on Call the Midwife at the first Oh, of course, yeah, yeah that's right. I should have gone through that route, you see. Yeah. Brains are rubbish, full of these rusty drawers. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't think of that either. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> cool. That's a good film as well. Um, if I was to ask those closest to you what your most annoying habits are, what would they say? Um, my most annoying habits are saying, um, um, and um, ignoring people. I'm quite good at, um, when I'm writing, I, I, I'm quite good at shutting out the rest of the world. So I, I've ignored my children for many years. I'm sure they're proud of you. Yeah. <laughs> they have to be. It's kind of part of the contract with being children. I don't, know. You know. I don't know. I don't mind if they're not. They've got their own thing going on. It's more my job to be proud of them, isn't it? Yeah, that's just true, I suppose. <laughs> um, if you were stranded on a desert island, what three things would you want with you? Um, that's, um, I probably want 
a musical instrument of some kind, probably a fiddle, because I play it very badly and um, I quite like the time to play it well. Um, I would like, um, I'm guessing that some sort of writing device counts as one, one um, item and a sharp knife. Sharp knife, can't go wrong. Need a sharp knife on a desert island to make all those, all those things that you'd have to make. Um, and become less squeamish and kill some animals that you could eat. Yeah, I guess so. I did go on a, a desert on a on a Stone Age survival course once, um, where we were all supposed to live in the in the desert in America, the Utah desert, for a month without anything apart from just our own resources. But didn't really work out. There used to be these Anasazi um, uh, Native Americans who had lived there, but they'd moved out a thousand years ago because there was no food or water there. So what the hell we were doing? You know, they'd taken the sensible option and said, "Oh, stuff that for a long. This desert's useless." So the idea that we were going to live like them when they'd already moved out was crazy. So every now and again, a surreptitious um, canister of water would appear, which wasn't very Stone Age at all, but we would have actually died without it. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's a bit hard to live on, you know. <laughs> you can't ever try catching a rabbit. It's not, not, not as easy as it sounds. No, I'd, yeah, I'd rather not. <laughs> Yeah, I, I thought we were supposed to like learn from history and not repeat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so are you working on anything at the moment and what's coming next for you? Um, I'm working on a thriller. What's coming next for me is, is a thriller called The Dead Rich under the name G.W. Shaw. Slightly different from the detective fiction. I kind of, um, in talking about sort of, um, I think it's really interesting the way lots of writers are doing echoes of past types of writing at the moment, especially like a lot of the Agatha Christie sort of references or Patricia Highsmith that's coming in and is doing it. And of course, as a young man, there were there were a lot of um, action thrillers around as books. Now, so it really struck me that it's really weird. There aren't many action thrillers around these days. They tend to be big conspiracy theory thrillers or things like that. But the idea of an old fashioned sort of adventure action thriller didn't really exist. I'd heard this thing in the um, um, yacht the boat show several years ago where one of the people was was saying it's crazy people are putting so much electronics on their boat they've got to really watch it because these boats could be hacked and i thought oh there's a plot i'll have that so it's a, it's it's a kind of locked room action thriller set in the caribbean on a very 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 swanky yacht and it's called dead rich that comes out in may and of course once i've done that i started writing another in the cupid series but my editor said well no you should write another thriller this looks good so i'm writing another thriller that's all about um counterfeit um Pharma, pharmaceutical sales because you can make millions of dollars in a very short space of time by selling these very expensive um, drugs that aren't drugs at all. And of course, nobody's going to find out they're counterfeit till several months later um, when they don't work. Uh, and uh, so I just thought there's quite a nice story in that. And that's set in Brazil and Vienna at the moment so it's gets me out of the house <laughs> mentally anyway yeah um well you may be relieved to know i don't have any more questions for you unless you think there's anything that i haven't asked you that you want to tell us so what are you reading at the moment donna um i am reading um the figure in the photograph for a blog tour and then i am dying to read graham bartlett's book which i got off netgalley so that'll be my next read i think so am i it's Right here. It's in my list, but I'm interviewing Mark Billingham on 
next week and um what writer called maggie g then i've got amen alonghi trevor wood james oswald and uh dominic nolan to interview for another event so i've got to read all their books before i can get round to graham so sorry graham <laughs> i'm sure it'll be fine it's not out till june anyway so hello dog she likes to come say hello <laughs> <Very good. laughs> um so would you like to tell everyone where they can find out more about you and where they can get your books from? Yeah, uh, my website's williamshaw.com. I, on Twitter and Instagram, I'm William number one Shaw, um, which I thought was going to be a thing. When I first, I was very, uh, my website I bought in the 1980s, and 1990s, and I did the same with my, you know, all sorts of things. I chose William one Shaw. I thought that everybody's going to put the number in the middle, not at the end. Uh, nobody else has. Um but anyway, so yeah, Instagram of that and also uh, William Shaw Writer on Facebook. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much. It's been awesome. <laughs> Great. All right. Lovely to speak to you. Great. Thank you very much.